It's awesome. Well, somehow I got to follow that with talking about the Holy Spirit, so I'm just going to make the leap in here. And today, that is our subject. We're kicking off a new series today called Asking for a Friend. And based on many of your questions, uh, they had to do with something to do with the Holy Spirit. And so, as you can imagine, this is a very big subject. It's going to be hard to uh, accomplish like everything that we would want to say in one sermon. Uh, so what we're going to do is kind of do a flyover of this, and it's probably healthy for me to let you know this now, that in the fall we're actually going to circle back around to this subject, and we're going to do an entire series on the Holy Spirit. But for today, we're going to hit on these four particular areas, the person of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the power, and the presence. And so let me kick us off with talking about the person of the Holy Spirit, specifically following up with this question, who is the Holy Spirit? In our Old Testaments, the Hebrew word that's used for Holy Spirit is ruach. In our New Testaments, the Greek word that's used for Holy Spirit is pneuma. Now, both of these words refer to God's Spirit as being wind or breath. Now, Corey's going to talk to us a little bit later about how that is associated with breath, but let me kind of focus in on this idea of wind. John actually refers to this in his gospel. In John chapter 3, verse 8, he says, "...the wind, it blows wherever it pleases." You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. If you think about it, guys, this idea of breath and this idea of wind and this imagery is a great way to describe what the Spirit of God is. You can't see it, you can't touch it, but you can feel it. And you can see its effect in life, in others' lives, in our lives, and in nature even, if we're just thinking about this idea of wind. In other words, it's non-physical, right? It's non-physical, but it's completely tangible. This is actually why probably a lot of people struggle with the Holy Spirit, because just like the wind, it's out of our control. And let's face it, we don't like things that we can't control or what we can't tame. But even though we can't tame or control the Holy Spirit, people should be able to see His work in our lives. And just in case you don't know this, the Holy Spirit, if you've Uh, allowed Jesus to become the leader and Lord of your life, the Holy Spirit is always working, always working in our lives and on our behalf. In Romans chapter 8, we hear Paul talk to us about how the Spirit prays. The Spirit inside of us prays and intercedes on our behalf, even when we don't know what to say. He prompts us sometimes. Some of you know this. You felt this. Whether you follow through on it, it's a different story. But he prompts us to have conversations, and we don't even know where those conversations are are going to go, but nonetheless, we know that he's prompting us to start these conversations. And he's always trying to lead us away from the path of destruction that many of us have a tendency to put in front of ourselves. And instead, he wants to put us in the presence of God. You see, God, the Father, and the Spirit, they're always working in unison. And that kind of brings up a different question, a question that some of you also ask, which is, like, how does this whole Trinity thing work? God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Three separate beings, but all working in unison to accomplish the very same thing. Now, some of the confusion comes around this idea of the Trinity because in our English Bibles, we actually don't ever see the word Trinity. But even though we don't see the word Trinity in our English Bibles, the evidence of the Trinity, if you ask me, is throughout the Scriptures. Specifically in John's Gospel, we see a couple couple things that I'd love to shed some light on. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking about how at some point he's going to be ascending into heaven. He's going to be back with the Father. And he says this, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another 
says another advocate, but let's slow down really quick there and, talk, and let me talk to you about this word another. The Greek word for another here is alos. And alos means the exact representation, the exact same kind. In other words, it's the essence of Jesus in spiritual form. So let me read this in its entirety. And he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, someone just the same as me, an advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now watch what Jesus does. Ready? This is important. It's huge. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So in the same breath, Jesus says, the Spirit's coming to you. And then he says, I will come to you. Why? Because they're of the same exact kind. Two represented in one. And when we obviously include God the Father, three represented in one. Now let me show you. If you ask me, this is probably one of the best represent, <clears throat> excuse me, representations in all of Scripture that represents the Trinity. Verse 19, before long the world will not see me anymore, but you'll see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I... I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. What a perfect representation of how the Trinity works in our lives. Now, we also want to pay attention to some specific language that we read in this passage. You see, the Holy Spirit, not represented as an it, the Holy Spirit is represented as a he. And this is incredibly important because sometimes we think of it as just like this force where Jesus is telling us, no, he's more of a friend. When we see that word advocate in that beginning of that passage that we read, the Greek word for that word is actually paraclete, and it can also be um, translated as comforter and counselor, and it can also be translated as friend. And just like a great friend, he's trying to make us better. He's trying to make us better. And he can also be grieved by the things, just like a great friend, he can be grieved by the things that we do that can be damaging. Let me show you what Paul says when he's writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. Another translation reads, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. And so how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? I think Paul gives us a quick list here. Get rid of all bitterness. Rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, let God's Spirit work inside of you and be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Friends, the person of the Holy Spirit, and again, let's be really clear with that, the person of the Holy Spirit is constantly working inside of us, trying to produce us into a person that looks a lot more like Jesus instead of like us. And one of the ways that Paul describes this when he writes to the church in Galatia is in Galatians chapter 5, and he says, it's like the Holy Spirit is producing fruit inside of you. Fruit like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. He's trying to produce these things inside of us, but we can grieve him and we can actually push that away. Friends, a what... A what can't produce those kind of things inside of you, but a who can. And that who is actually God inside of you. I just ended with a rhyme. See if you can top that. Thanks. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. That's great. So <laughs> I don't have a rhyme, uh, but I did put my part in a song. So go oh. ahead and play that. Uh, I'm just joking. I'm <laughs>
Um, I, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the promise, and one of the questions that we, we got from, from you guys is this. Like, how do, you, how do you get the Holy Spirit? So we, we know a little bit more about who he is, but like, how, do you, how do you get the Holy Spirit? Uh, what's really interesting is if you look in the whole of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament included, like, the Spirit is evidenced all throughout the pages. You can see him at work, and he's, he's labeled, and he's, he's talked about. But, but he has kind of a different relationship, a different dynamic in the Old Testament than he does in the New Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see him actually um, uh, only going and being a part of uh, like a selective few people. Now, the Holy Spirit, he can move where he wants to, where he wills. He's not confined by anything. But, but we see that he's exclusively placed in certain people for a certain time for a certain thing that, he, that they're doing. So people like Joseph and, and Moses and David and, and, and the prophets, they, they had the Spirit of God living in them to be able to do what God had actually called them to do specifically in that time. Uh, and some of you all might be familiar with this, but, uh, but in the time of David, when he became king, the, the Spirit of God actually left King Saul, and it came on King David, and then the Spirit of God empowered King David to do the things he was doing. But then David had this big blunder, and he sinned against God. And, and the one thing that he asked God was that he would not take the Holy Spirit from him. And that was the kind of relationship that we see with the Spirit in the Old Testament. But, but then Jesus comes on the scene, and he does something completely different. Mm -hmm. uh, what he does is he actually makes the Spirit available to anyone and everyone who would actually claim him as Lord. As a matter of fact, I want you all to take a look at this passage with me. This is Jesus speaking in John chapter 16. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to people. And this is what he says about it. He says, in fact, it's actually best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate, that's the Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Now, guys, think about this for a minute, all right? Uh, this is Jesus, Emmanuel, God in flesh, living right amidst all these people, right? And he says, it's best for you that I go. Now, I don't know if you all have ever done this before, but sometimes when I've read the scriptures, uh, I'll look at these, these disciples and these guys that got a chance to like, rub shoulders with Jesus, right? Uh, you know, shake hands with Jesus, hug Jesus. I'm like, man, how fortunate. How, how cool would it be to have God in flesh, like, hanging out with you, on a day-to-day -day basis. That person like right next to you, that is amazing. They were so much more fortunate than I am to maybe ought to have God in flesh right next to them. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, guys, there's actually something better than God in flesh living next to you. He says, it's God in spirit living in you. Another way to say this is, is this way. God in you is better than God beside you. At least that's what Jesus communicates to us. And so then he goes to the cross and he resurrects and he comes to his disciples and he says, guys, here, here it comes. Like, this is the time. I'm peacing out. And that promised spirit that I promised, like, he's coming, but you guys got to wait for it. And so the disciples, they do. They wait in Jerusalem and all of a sudden the spirit comes and they receive the spirit and something miraculous starts to happen. They start to do these miraculous things and, and all these people start to come around to see these ordinary men who are now filled with something beyond their understanding doing these incredible things. And it brings this audience and Peter takes advantage of that and he preaches to them and he tells them the good news of Jesus. And they hear this and they're quipped to the heart and then they say to, to Peter, they say, what shall we do? What can we do? And Peter could have given him a litany of different answers, but this is how he responds. This is what he tells him. He says, repent. In other words, turn from the things that you are going towards and turn towards Jesus and be baptized. Surrender, submit your life to Jesus, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and catch this, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, getting the Holy Spirit is not something about 
that we accomplish or, or something that we attain. As a, as a matter of fact, later on in, in the early church history, there's this guy and he sees the spirit being given out and he's, his, his name is Simon the sorcerer. And he's like, how do I get that thing? He's like, how much do you want for it, guys? And, uh, and the disciples look back at him and he's like, it's not for sale. It's not something that you can purchase. It's only something that you can receive. And so if you want to know, how do, how do you get the Holy Spirit? You receive the Spirit by surrendering to Jesus. You receive the Spirit by surrendering to Jesus. And as amazing as that is, like that's not the end of it. What's so cool about this is not only has the Spirit been promised to us, but the Spirit actually comes with the promise itself. I want you all to take a look at Ephesians chapter 1. I love this verse. And, and this is what it says. And now you, uh, on the count of three, I want you to say your name in this blank. All right? One, two, three. Aaron. Corey. Have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. That was the promise of Jesus that he's going to give him to you, right? But catch this, whom he promised long ago. Now it says this, the Spirit of, is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised, and that he has purchased us to be his own people. This is an amazing thing, guys. You see, you have, have been identified, have been identified Christ. That word is oftentimes translated sealed or, or marked or branded, if you will. You have been branded by God, and the Spirit is the sign that you belong to him. You could say that God has left his trace on you. See what I just did there? That was good. Yeah, yeah. He's left his trace on you and it's called the Holy Spirit. He's actually given you his spirit and that actually marks you and it makes you his own. And catch this. If the spirit of God lives in you now, you are guaranteed to be with God in full. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit then. This is an amazing thing that God has done for us. But the spirit is not just a sign of our salvation. He offers so much more than that. Yeah, and that leads us to the power uh, of the Holy Spirit. And guys, with a church our size, I have no doubt that uh, many of us probably grew up in different brands of faith, right? We grew up in different brands of faith, and uh, with that being said, we probably came from some backgrounds where there was a lot of different opinions, right? I mean, all of our backgrounds had opinions on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you might have grown up in more of a charismatic type church. Anybody grow up in a charismatic, more Pentecostal type church? Yeah, you're not true Pentecostals because you would have been like, woo! You know, so that didn't, yeah. But nonetheless, uh, maybe you grew up in more of a charismatic type church. Now you have what, what's called charismatic and then you have what I call crazy-matic. And so maybe some of you grew up in crazy-matic churches where people are running around the room, preachers are slapping you on the head and you're falling backwards in convulsions. In Kentucky, they literally handle snakes. And I brought mine so that's with a part and sign of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you brought one, yeah. <clears throat> Guys, uh, in all honesty, there's, there's some weird stuff. There's some weird stuff out there when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now on the other side of the spectrum, you have churches that have decided because this is kind of like it gets weird and we're not sure how to like we can't put controlling you know parameters around this let's just stay away from it and so to some extent that led to a belief called cessationism and cessationism is the belief that when the apostles died off the apostles the original original disciples followers of Jesus when they, they died off that the gifts of the Holy Spirit died off with them, that God only gave those particular gifts, specifically like prophecy and speaking in tongues and healing, that God only gave those gifts to the early apostles because he was trying to get the church started. Now, for what it's worth, I'm sure some of you are curious, where do we fall? I would say we probably fall somewhere in the middle. We definitely don't 
uh, say that we're cessationists. So here's the most succinct way that I could say it. We believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still fully given today, but are only productive and spirit-led when they're used in a biblical way. Now, let me, for what it's worth, some of you might appreciate this. I'll give you my own personal experience. Uh, I've been in the church for a long time, both in full-time ministry and outside, you know, not being in full-time ministry, but I've been in a lot of spiritual environments. And if I were to tell you just based on my experience, I would say that I've experienced the gifts like speaking in tongues and prophecy and healing, not in an, um, uh, let me say it differently, I've experienced them more in an unbiblical way than I've experienced them in a biblical way in the settings that I've been. That's just been my personal experience based on what I read in Scripture. And I think a lot of guys that end up in my position, you know, leading a church, probably because of those similar experiences, because I don't think that's just with me, that it's like, okay, because this can get weird, let's just kind of stay away from it. But that's not healthy. Because the Bible actually tells us that these gifts are meant for the body of Christ, specifically in expressing love and helping God's kingdom move forward. So we're supposed to pursue the gifts, but at the same time, we have to know that they can be dangerous, right? The spiritual gifts are intimidating. Some are downright strange, and all of them, you get this, all of them can be manipulated and abused. All the spiritual gifts are potentially dangerous. In a sense, handling these spiritual gifts is almost like handling dynamite. And what's interesting is the Greek word here for power is dynamis, and this is the word that's actually used to describe the Holy Spirit sometimes, the power of the Holy Spirit specifically. When used rightly, the gifts are explosively loving, but when used wrongly, they're explosively destructive. I bet many of you have experienced this. So it's tempting, it's tempting to just say, well, let's just stay away from it altogether. What I want to do, because I don't think that's where we need to land, is I want to read to you from the text and let God's Word teach us today on this particular topic. And I'm going to read a, a nice chunk of Scripture here. But one of the things that you need to know, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians, beginning in chapter 12. One of the things that you need to know about the entire letter to the Corinth church, what we call 1 Corinthians, um, it's a reprimand. And you need to read it with that context. It's a reprimand. The church in Corinth is jacking things up. And because they're jacking things up, Paul writes them this letter. And they're specifically jacking things up when it comes to how they're using the gifts of the Spirit. And so Paul writes this letter to help give them a framework. So let's jump in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 8, and Paul's going to set up what these actual spiritual gifts are. He says this, To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that, by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits. Maybe you've heard this called a gift of discernment. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues or languages, and still another the interpretation of those tongues or languages. All these are the work of the one and same Spirit. And he, this is key, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. When we jump down to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, we see Paul start to pivot and take us in a new direction. He says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Now remember, when Paul writes this letter, there's no chapters and verses. So it's not 1 Corinthians 12 and then 1 Corinthians 13. It's just Paul writing. And so you've got to read this seamlessly as we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. He says, if I speak, and remember, this is a reprimand. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am what? 
I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain what? Nothing. Now, he then goes into describing what love is, and if you've been to a wedding anytime here soon, you've almost certainly heard this passage of Scripture read. But if we read it in its context, Paul is still talking within the context of the spiritual gifts when he defines love. So maybe you'll hear this a little bit differently today. He says this, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. So you imagine some of these people in Corinth are probably envying one another in the different gifts that may have been given. It's not arrogant. You don't say that, hey, I've got this gift and I'm some, somehow better than you. It's not rude. It's not, it does not insist on its own way. It's not about how you want to use these giftings. It's how God wants you to use these giftings. It's not irritable or it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love, guys, will never end. And he continues, so as for prophecies, again, same context, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, when Jesus comes back, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, and this is interesting because I love this passage, and I've used it several different times, but Paul's more or less calling them out. It's like, you guys are being childish. Watch what he says. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child what you guys are doing. But then I became a man. Then I became a man, and I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully as I have been fully known. So now, guys, now, now, faith, hope, and love. These things abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And when he transitions into what we know as 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he does continue to encourage us to pursue spiritual gifts as in the context of the way that God wants them for us. Guys, love should always be the main aim for the spiritual gifts. The gifts are not fireworks for us to go ooh and ah. They are mainly given as means to extend love and the grace of God to others. And Paul makes it clear that it's possible to both possess and exercise these gifts without love. And don't miss what I say next. When we exercise these gifts without the main approach of love, we lose the power. We lose the power of the Holy Spirit. But in commanding us to pursue love and the spiritual gifts, the Bible is actually commanding us to handle dangerous things. But just because they're dangerous doesn't mean we dismiss them. But it does mean that we are careful in discerning how we use them. That's all really good stuff, Aaron, and I think it's for that reason um, that I would actually lean more on the side of uh, utilizing the fruits of the Spirit instead of the gifts of the Spirit to help us identify uh, the Spirit's presence in our life. And what, what I mean by that is, and this is the section we're going to talk about, is this, the presence of Spirit. There's a question I think that we, we ask deep inside of ourselves, maybe not even verbally. This is one of the questions that kind of came up through these asking for our friends, but I know all the stuff about like who the Spirit is and how you get Him and what He can do, but how do I truly know if I have Him? Like, how do I know it without a shadow of a doubt? How do I know that the Spirit of God actually lives in me? Because honestly, I, I can't see Him. Sometimes I can't feel Him. 
so how do I know that he exists? And, and if, if we lean on the gifts of the Spirit, that, that looks different for each of us. Like God has gifted each of us differently. And, and, and so something might be the true for you that's not true for you that's not true for you. And so, so how do I know for sure? And that's why we lean on the fruits of the Spirit because the fruits of the Spirit, which Aaron had talked about earlier from Galatians 5, that love, joy, peace, patience, all that kind of stuff, that is made available to all of us. And it's something that, that the Spirit is actually working in us, tilling up the hard soil of our lives and the hard hearts. And, and He's actually able to produce those things in us. And that becomes fruit and evidence of His existence in us. Now, we might not be able to see that initially or even visibly, but, but it's one of those things that when we start to look at our lives in retrospect, we start to see how God has actually moved. The aftermath, if you will, of the Spirit, and it's, it's an incredible thing. And it's not only something that we can see in ourselves, but it's actually something that other people can see as well. We, we, start to, we start to think back on this and we go, you know, I, I think I'm more loving than I used to be. I'm, I'm a lot more patient than I ever was. That kind thing that I just did for this person this week, I, you would have never seen me do that a year ago. And it's not because something that I did, but because I know that I'm seeing the Spirit of God actually work and move in my life. I, I got a chance uh, just a minute ago to be a part of a baptism of my neighbor, and I'm just telling you, like, even in the short time that she's come to, to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, I've seen a notable difference in her, and it's been evident that God has been working on her. She is no longer what she once was, and that's something that I can see even if she's not able to necessarily recognize that right now. But, but every year that goes by, every day that passes, every moment we embrace, every breath we take. Every breath I take. Yes, yeah. Take me back. Take how, me back. How'd you do that one? That was good. No, no. I'm sorry. We were, good, we were good just with the first part. All right. Yeah. Every breath, every breath we take, we have the ability to actually grow in the spirit. This is an amazing thing. Aaron had mentioned this earlier, but the words that are used to describe the spirit, ruach and pneuma, uh, they mean spirit or wind, but they also translate breath. And I want you to think about this with me for a minute, because I just think this, this is an amazing concept. I love how God gives us these, these physical illustrations to help us understand spiritual concepts, and I think he does that with, with the, the very word that he describes his spirit with, with, with his word breath. You see, when God first formed man, he had all the necessary ingredients, all the composition uh, formed from dirt. There is man right in front of him. But it's not until God breathes life into him that that man comes to life. We see this in the birth of a child. When a, when a child comes into this world and is born for the very first time, the very first thing he does is take his very first what? Breath. You see, breathing is the very thing that defines human life. And then we go to the cross, and we see Jesus hanging there. And as he hangs, he says, it's finished. And he takes his last breath. And with his sacrifice, he gives us his spirit, his very breath, which enables us to have life that he tells us is truly life, not only for the here and now, but life eternal. It is an amazing thing, a life of walking with the living, breathing God right inside of us. The Bible tells us that we actually, when we receive the Spirit, Jesus says, you actually have my mind. Like, my thoughts are your thoughts. My mission is your mission. And we get to do this just as if he were doing it. It's an amazing, an amazing thing. Now, this being my last day, I, I, I would like to challenge Aaron 
uh, to something that I know that I'm going to win. Okay? Um, so, yes, are you up for this challenge? Well, yeah. Are you yeah. ready to lose? All right. So I'm going to challenge you to a whistle challenge. Okay. And this whistle challenge uh, is fairly simple. Let me wet my whistle. You wet your whistle there. Okay. So this is fairly simple. Uh, we are going to whistle continuously until you can't whistle anymore. And whoever's still whistling the longest wins. Got it. All right. So go ahead and do a little practice. All right, ready? Here we yep. go. Right, you all make sure he doesn't cheat. Okay, here we go. Ready? I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. What are you doing? I'm beating you is what no. I'm doing. I won. I just won. Everybody, you all acknowledge that I won that battle? Thank you. I won that challenge. Um, I didn't explain all the rules to you, but that's okay. Uh, yeah. What was I doing just then? Did anybody know what I was doing? I I'm whistling in and out. I have a special privilege that you might not have. So I can whistle both in and out, all right? That allows me to beat you at this mm -hmm. game. And it also, I think, I think it really illustrates uh, how, how God actually wants us to operate with his presence. This idea of, of, of breathing, I think, is, is how God wants us to be able to walk with him in and out, just like breathing. When we stop to think about this, this is how the Spirit operates in our life. You think about things that we do on the, on, the, on the spiritual level, this concept of confession, right? Confession is simply telling the truth, but it takes courage to do that. And so what happens is we breathe in the Spirit of truth, and we breathe out our anger and our disappointment and our fear and our anxiety and our doubt and our sin. Or you think about worship. Worship is simply breathing in the presence and the glory of God and breathing out our praise and our adoration and our appreciation of Him. Matter of fact, I want you guys to do that with me. I want you to take a deep breath and hold it in for a second. Go ahead, breathe. And exhale. Every time we breathe, we're actually declaring the glory of God, whether you know it or not. Every time we inhale and exhale, it is as if the living, breathing God is in us, reminding us that he's the one that put the breath in us in the first place, and that he is the one that is not only sustaining us, but giving us life-breathing uh, uh, life breath to give to others. Now, here's the deal. We breathe involuntarily, most of us, right? But every once in a while, you stop to think about your breath. Maybe you're having a hard day. Maybe you're needing some extra patience. Maybe you're just losing your breath. And you stop to think about your breath for a moment, right? Just kind of like we did just now. Can I challenge you that the next time that you stop to think about your breath, can you let that be a reminder that not only the God who gave you that breath, but, but the God that also is breathing in and through you, life. The, the one that is the creator of this universe, the one who's breathed life into you, he is living in you now if you have surrendered to him. And really, the goal of the Christian life, the, the goal for us that have said we want Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, it, it's to walk in step with the Spirit, to understand that His presence is living in us. And so as He goes, we go. As He moves, we move. As He speaks, we speak. As He acts, we act. And the more and more that you do this, whether it's, whether it's a small thing or a large thing, when, when you walk in step with the Spirit, you understand His voice. It becomes more and more clear to you and becomes more and more involuntary. So we're walking with the Spirit. It's just 
like breathing. That's good. Well, here's what I want to do. Um, I want to conclude with a time of prayer. And I think you probably get this if you've been a part of the church for any amount of time. The Spirit, as we've hopefully described as well as we could today, is trying to do something in and through your life. But you can push that away. I call it stiff-arming the Holy Spirit. You can push that away. And so what I'd like to do in this concluding prayer is ask for you to have a posture of being open to God's Spirit. And so if you would, just kind of open your hands. You can lay them on your knees if you want. And my hope is that we'll all just allow this teaching today be a reminder for us to open ourselves to God's Spirit's God's leading through His Spirit in our lives. Father, not only do we thank You for giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit to help seal our salvation, but God, we know that there's incredible things that can be done in and through us because it's literally You and Jesus in spirit form working through our lives. And God, all of us are guilty. Every single one of us are guilty in pushing that conviction away, pushing his influence away, stiff-arming him, saying, maybe later, just not right now. God, I pray that we wouldn't have that posture, that today we would begin, maybe for the first time for some people, that we would begin opening our lives up more to your influence in our lives through the Holy Spirit. God, that we would welcome him and we would invite him and we would ask him to point out things to uh, things in our hearts to expose maybe some darkness that's still inside of us and that we would see it and that we would ask his help in removing it. And God, that we would welcome those prayers that he's interceding on our behalf when we don't even know what to say. And so, Father, I pray that today and as we lead into this time of response, that we open ourselves up even just a little bit more for his influence in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Well, we're going to go into a time of response. For those of you all that are not familiar with us, you're new here, uh, what we do every week is we try to give you guys uh, a thin space to operate in. What we mean by a thin space is uh, we get busy and hectic and crowded, our minds and when you come here, we want to be able to, to point you to Jesus and then give you some time to actually spend like face-to-face -face time with him. And so we're going to do that right now. We're going to give you some time, but that might look different for each and every one. We, we understand that. And so we've got a couple things uh, around the room. We've got some prayer stations in the back that you can go to, uh, and you can write down some requests or some praises or questions, whatever you got going on right there. Put those in the buckets. We, we pray over those every week as a staff team and as a prayer team. Uh, in addition to that, we've got a couple stations that are set around the room underneath these crosses, uh, and there's two things there. Uh, there's one, there's an offering uh, bucket there. If you come prepared today and you want to give, you want to grow in generosity, you can do so. But there's also uh, the elements that represent communion, which is a way of us being able to acknowledge and say thank you to Jesus for doing what he did. Not only to be able to give us salvation, but what we talked about today, to be able to give us his presence. It's an amazing thing. And so uh, so here's, here's the deal. We're going we're gonna to give you some time to do that. Um, but along the lines of the Spirit, I, I think all of us have some work to do in this, in this conversation. Maybe it's like Aaron said, you've been, you've been stiff-arming the Holy Spirit. He's been trying to convict you of some stuff for a long time, and you're just saying no. Maybe it's time to actually ask for forgiveness of God and say, God, that thing that you wanted me to do, I'm just saying yes, because you're my Lord and Savior. Now, I, I know for some of you guys, you've come in here today and you say, I, I don't know the Spirit. We've been talking as if you do. I don't know the Spirit because I know that I've not surrendered my life to Jesus. If that happens to be you, if you know that and you've heard this message of a God that loves you enough to die for you and also to be present with you so that you're not alone in this life, 
you want to have that conversation, I'll be standing over here underneath this, this sign. I said yes to Jesus. Be happy to have that conversation started with you today about what it looks like to surrender your life to Jesus and be baptized accordingly so his spirit can live in you. Now, for some of us, if we're being honest, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time and you're just unsure of whether or not you have the spirit of God living in you. And so can I just ask that during this time, you just do some business with God and you would do what he's told us to do, which is simply receive the gift that he's already given to us. Ask him to come and live in your life and to take over your life so that you no longer live, but Christ lives in you and then walk confidently in knowing that he does. So let me pray. I don't know how it is that, that God wants you to respond, but you do. And so if that means sitting in your seat for a while, just having a conversation with him, feel free to do that. Otherwise you can make your way around the room. Father, thank you. Thank you again for the privilege it is to be able to talk about things that truly matter in this life, to be able to talk about such an incredible gift that you have given us in your spirit. And I pray that we would grow more and more aware of your spirit and his presence and that we would listen better and better to him. Father, until we are walking so closely and stepping in line with your spirit that it just comes naturally and we look just like Jesus so we can leave traces of your love everywhere we go. It's in Jesus' name we pray.